You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's preacher is Pastor Brian Flammy. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Dear Saints, as I was spending this past Thanksgiving and the days around it, uh, uh, watching a lot of college football and enjoying, you know, the spectacle that that is, uh, uh, I get a good dose of popular culture that a lot of times I don't have enough uh, time to pay attention to. And one thing really settled in on me that I think that you need to realize as well, and that's that the days of cultural Christianity are well past us. They are over. The common ground that used to exist between Christendom and culture has long since disappeared under the rising tides of hedonism, which is the idolatry of pleasure, and secularism, which is the idolatry of the idea that there is no God. And the very fact that you are baptized, your baptism, it precludes, it precludes the possibility of being able to fade into the background Your Christianity is showing. Your neighbors notice it. They notice when you don't make sacrifices to their gods. When you abstain from the lusts that other people indulge in and call good, it in fact threatens your neighbors. Now why is that? Why do they feel so threatened by Christians who talk about loving God and loving their neighbor? It's because... It's because of what you say about God's law, that you stand under it, that it is divine, that it is not only true and obtains, you know, in you, upon you and on your life, it also obtains to all people. It binds all people. You confess an inconvenient truth to the world, and that is that your God is jealous. He desires faith and obedience, and he promises to judge the faithless and the wicked. And whether you like it or not, you need to know that a case is being assembled against you, and if not by a court of law, then certainly, then certainly by your co-workers, your friends, and your family, all the people that may not go to church with you that you still eat and drink with on Thanksgiving and Christmas. The question is, what will you tell them? What will you say when somebody asks you, why is it? That you are a Christian. It is wonderful that we have set before us a picture this morning in the gospel lesson. We see the crowds who go before Jesus and who come after him. And who say, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. These crowds speak loudly and clearly, and publicly about who Jesus is. They let their faith have a voice. They show us what it means to be faithful. They show us that our faithfulness is bound up to our confession. You cannot be a private and silent Christian. Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. The questions are going to come to you. 
And it is our desire this year to be taught by the Holy Scriptures, to be taught by our catechism as to what, as, as to what we will say when the question comes to us. As saints who go before and come after Jesus, we tell this corrupt, stinking, and dying world the one thing that they do not know and the one thing that they really need to hear. That there is hope. That Jesus draws near not to condemn sinners, but to save them by his blood. This is the good confession which means that you also need to know your creed. You need to know what you believe. And this is the work that's set before us this year. And we begin this Sunday by meditating on how the church confesses Jesus as the coming King of righteousness and salvation. We'll first consider why it's so important that Jesus comes in humility. And then we'll learn about the benefits that Jesus gives us because he came in humility. And then finally we'll sharpen our confession so that we know precisely what we say about Jesus when we're questioned about who he is and why he comes. Now, as we begin this church year, it's good to remember why it's set out the way it is. Uh, Our fathers in the faith were wise to set out the basic story of Jesus, as we read about in the scriptures. Um, That's because there are certain things and, and moments in Jesus' life that are especially important for Christians and our salvation. And it's good for us to hear these same stories over and over and over again so that they start to settle in our hearts. So that even if the scriptures tomorrow were taken away from us, we would still have their comfort. And we would still have uh, uh, peace for our troubled consciences. The first season is called Advent, which is Latin for drawing near or coming close. It begs a question, doesn't it? Who is coming near? Who is drawing close And, of course, you get to tell the world and your friends and your family that it is Jesus. He comes today, right now, in his word. He will come in the future, in glory, to judge, just as we have been hearing in these past few weeks at the end of the church's year. But in the gospel lesson today, we hear how Jesus once drew near to his own city of Jerusalem. How did Jesus come to his city? He came in humility. And it is because Jesus drew near to his city of Jerusalem in humility that the year that is set before us is not a year of judgment and damnation and God's anger, but it is, in fact, a year of God's grace and kindness. The Scriptures promised that Jesus would come like this. They promised that Jesus would come to put his enemies under his feet. That by coming, he would rule over the Gentiles. And that by coming, he would reign eternally. Now, you would expect such a glorious entrance for that kind of reign that it would put Trump's elevator to shame. But that is not what Zechariah tells us to look for. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus comes in humility because his enemies, 
our enemies. They can't be beaten back by swords or bought off with money. When a king comes and subdues the whole world, what really does he have? He has a little bit of land. He has some influence over the hearts and maybe uh, uh, the lives of people. But has he overcome his sin? Has he overcome your sin? How about death? Has he overcome death by conquering the world? Has he overcome your death? The answer, of course, is no. Jesus rides through the gates of Jerusalem in humility because he desires, he desires to fight a battle that is very strange. That is unlike anything that the world had ever seen before. Jesus comes in humility because he is putting himself underneath God's judgment. Divine justice, which we learn from the law, the Ten Commandments, demands that sinners pay for their sins. But Jesus rides through the gates of Jerusalem in humility because he bears your sins. He takes them from you. And he carries them to the cross where he wants to suffer your punishment, your hell. He wants to die your death. These are strange weapons. From the cross, he fights back against unbelief by speaking words of forgiveness. He holds back the anger of God by bleeding. And he sets aside hell by dying. This is how God establishes his kingdom of grace. Can one man's death pay for the sins of another? No. But Jesus is no mere man. He is God's Son in human flesh. He sheds divine blood. And in that way, your sin, your death, and your devil are put under his feet. Jesus does come to us today in his word. But his weapons, they still come to us in humility. That's because when you stand before the judgment throne of God, swords and gold, they count for nothing. What does count is this precious promise of forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What does count is the blood and the death that is paid for the iniquity and the sins of the whole world. Today, Jesus comes to you to give you the great treasures that he has purchased and won with this suffering and this death. And when you hear and remember that you are baptized, when you see little babies over there and and other, I suppose, older people being baptized over there, when you hear the word being preached, when you eat and drink Jesus' body and blood, Jesus gives you the the two great benefits that he bought with his cross and his blood and his death. And they are the benefits that Zechariah promises. Righteousness is the first And the second comes from it, and it is salvation. 
Now, to be righteous, this is not a word you hear often out in the world. It has been lost to the English, most English speakers. There, we don't have a place for it in, in, in our conduct, of, in, our, in our lives with others, you know. But it does matter before the judgment throne of God. Now, the world will speak about a kind of righteousness. They maybe not, won't call it righteousness, but they'll say that, you know what, there is something worthwhile and deserving inside of you. That you are intrinsically lovable and worthwhile, you know. Uh, that you're good enough as you are. Or they will say something else. That, you know what, you can make up for what you have done and the bad things that you have done by your efforts, by your love. Just as sometimes you hope to, to uh, raise up your, your, your reputation in the eyes of others by doing things for them, by saying things you think they, they might like, uh, you're tempted to think by the world that maybe this also counts before the judgment throne of God. But it doesn't work. The fact is, you are corrupt from the moment of your conception. That before the judgment throne of God, even at that moment, you deserved nothing but destruction and death. And it only gets worse from there. Because of the corruption of your flesh, you heap up sins upon sins, and even those things that you think should count before God as righteousness... That the things that should be able to appease God, they are nothing but sin. The fruits of unbelief and of despair. As God is holy, He requires you to be holy. Jesus rode through Jerusalem's gates wearing your sins. He took them from you in his own baptism. And he also desires to give you what, what he also wore on, to the cross and delivers there to you by his word, his own righteousness, that you obtain not by doing enough good things to make God happy, but that you obtain by faith, by merely believing what Jesus promises to you. This is precisely what, prom- what was promised by Jeremiah. He said that the Lord would be called our righteousness. You don't have your own righteousness. You cannot have your own righteousness. You need another's righteousness. You need the righteousness of Jesus. And you have it by faith, by trusting in Him. By believing Him. You have all of Jesus' purity. All of His holiness. You have all of His good works. And you have all of the Father's love. These are the garments of your baptism. And your sin and your corruption cannot soil or destroy these garments. The second benefit proceeds from the first. Because Jesus has made you righteous, and because God, your Heavenly Father, sees you as nothing but righteous for Christ's sake, You are spared his anger. There is judgment and destruction that is coming upon this world, but it is not for you. You have salvation. You have hope that even though everything in this world and existence will pass away, the word that God has spoken to you in your baptism will not pass away. This is the hope that the world does not know and that you possess now by faith. 
So what should you do now that you have obtained this righteousness and this salvation? You live and you speak as somebody who has been made righteous, who is justified by the sins, from their sins, by the blood of Jesus. You speak like somebody who has the hope of everlasting life, even through the resurrection of their own bodies. You even take a hold of God's law, the law that the rest of the world is terrified of, and you see it, not, no, you see it no longer as a means that is used to destroy you, but as a treasure that instructs you in love and guards you against the works of darkness from which you were redeemed. Now the church in every age is asked to justify its existence. The world would stand in judgment over us. They're going to ask questions like, you are a Christian? How useful are you to me? Does your religion make other people feel better about themselves? Does it improve the lives of others around you? Are you able to fit into society without causing a fuss? They'll ask, do you have influence? Do you have power? Do you have numbers or wealth? Are you able to withstand attack? By all of these standards, dear saints, the church has long overstayed her welcome in this world. But once again, we do not consider ourselves by these standards. We consider ourselves according to the judgment and the word of God. We hear his promises about his saints, and we believe them. When God says you are righteous, that you have obtained salvation, you say, Amen. Jesus doesn't come into this world as a king of this world. Jesus comes into this world to bring a better kingdom. A kingdom of grace and peace with God. And you see this kingdom, not with your eyes, but you perceive it with your ears. And so you are drawn near to Jesus, where you hear his tender invitation of God's love and his mercy. And so this year, this year in Christ's church, we learn to be like the crowds around Jesus. We're not afraid of Jesus, nor are we ashamed of him. Instead, we, we come close to him so that we can confess him loudly and clearly. And let the world see it. Let the world hear it when we gather around the Lord's word and his sacrament. Because they will see and hear something that they don't, do not know and they cannot know. That there is hope. That there is hope for sinners. It never looks like much. But this is how the Lord comes to save us with righteousness and salvation. The Lord grant us faithfulness so that we would never be ashamed of our humble King, so that we may always meet Him with confidence, especially when He returns in glory. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope.